Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Matt Newell. I am the Indy Stars Pacers editor. I'm here, of course, with our insider, uh, Dustin Dopirak. Uh, Thursday's the trade deadline, so we're going to do heavy on that, of course. But first, we want to really hit on the story the Athletic broke uh, Sunday afternoon, um, which was the NBA's investigation into an incident between uh, Memphis and the Pacers. Um, I guess, Dustin, just real quick, run through what we know um, about that story, and we'll touch on it uh, fairly quickly here. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's not the, there's a lot. Obviously, I wouldn't say it's up in the air. There's there's uh, you know certainly there were there was a lot of quoting of anonymous sources there, and quoting for an, on, anonymous sources for the reason that these people feared you know retribution. Um, so that's some pretty heavy stuff. But um, the the story that came from the athletic basically was that there there was a bit of a dust up, I and mean, it didn't go so far as to to constitute a fight, but there was a kind of a a fair amount of you know for lack of a better term chirping uh, going on during the game, um, and apparently some members of you know what would be I guess loosely referred to as John Morant's crew. Um, allegedly went back and then I think confronted some members of the Pacers media party and I think then came back in a car and the the allegation is that that a basically that the, a laser sight was used at some point and uh, a, a Pacers security guard according to you know these anonymous sources looked at the situation that you looked in the direction of the laser and said that's 100 percent a gun um and so the nba the pacers you know ran this up the flagpole to- told the nba the nba investigated to the degree that it could and said we we can you know acknowledge that there was some kind of confrontation uh after the game but we can't ascertain whether or not uh, a weapon was used so basically they, they just couldn't prove there was a gun uh more or less kind of what they said and they suspended uh just sort of members of that party so they're not allowed back uh, at fedex forum but this this happened um june th- uh, i'm sorry not june january 29th uh when the pacers were in memphis um so you know again I, i'm trying to remember what exactly caused um, you know, there to be a little bit of a dust, dust up. Rick Carlisle complained about that at the time, just what, what happened on the floor and somebody was kicked out of the game um, and said he was glad, he was basically just said he was glad that happened. Um, but we, so uh, obviously this story broke uh, on Sunday. It was after pregame was like basically like right around the time uh, the locker rooms closed. So at before the game, we didn't really have an opportunity to talk to anybody about it. Um, you know, got a no comment from the Pacers organization at large. Afterwards, we asked, um, uh, but, well, in between, got the same um, sort of explanation from the NBA, from NBA spokesman Mike Bass, uh, basically saying, again, exactly that, that, that they were, you know, made aware about this confrontation. They investigated this confrontation. They were able to confirm that a confrontation happened um, and that they, you know, basically uh, uh, recommended suspending these people from FedEx Forum for the rest of the season, um, but that they, again, could not confirm the presence of a gun or a weapon, so they couldn't say if somebody was threatened and couldn't really take it to the next step. Um, um, and I, I mean, I think the vague, I think what a lot of people want to know in terms of how things are going to go or should go going forward, because um, it sounds like more or less at the moment, the investigation is closed. So barring any um, sort of further evidence, I don't know that there's going to be a further resolution here. Obviously, somebody else would have to come forward and say, I can prove to you this uh, that we haven't proven already. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any uh, kind of uh, punishment for John Morant, because I don't think anybody can prove 
what he did or didn't do, what he might have been a part of. Um, and you know, was he in a car with a weapon pointed at members of the Pacers party? They can't prove that, basically. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't have the evidence to sustain. If, if that is the charge that is being made, they don't have the evidence to sustain that. Um, so that seems to be where it is. Again, we talked to Rick Carlisle after, and we talked to Miles um, uh, Turner and Tyrese Halliburton, basically. So all of them said they weren't there. So I, I want to point this out in terms of just the timing and just sort of the way this had to have gone. Um, the Pacers have to be one of the fastest changing teams in the NBA uh, in terms of how fast they get in and out of a locker room after a game. I mean, it, it's really swift uh, compared to everybody else, um, basically. I mean, it's like they are like there is a you know time a bus is leaving. It goes up on the board and those guys hit that time almost every single time everybody's out the door they don't mess around and at home games they don't mess around you know there's there's not a lot of sitting and lingering these guys are good friends they're cool um and i think they just go hang out with each other after go to somebody's house go out whatever um they don't sit in the locker room and shoot the bull you know like afterwards they're they get changed they're out, you know, like, and and they're not taking a whole heck of a lot of time. They, they do their treatment and whatnot, but they they kind of you know try to get out of there as fast as they can. Um, and that's different from the rest of the NBA. There's a lot of people that will linger, hang around a long time. And when we've tried to talk to, uh, you know, uh, players on visiting teams for whatever reason after a game, I and mean, they can be it can be half an hour, 45 minutes after we're done talking to, after all the paces are cleared out, you know. So I say that to say. This must have happened pretty quickly if none of those guys were at the bus yet, you know, is what I'm trying to say. Like this, this, this had to happen not that far uh, after the game. And, you know, I mean, I remember even when Morant was in um, when Memphis was in Indiana and obviously we all wanted to talk to him about the dunk. Um, you know, he was a ways after, uh, you know, the Pacers were down before he did his press conference. So ultimately, the, there's just it's an odd timeline because it must have happened fast if none of those guys could have gone out because they said none of them witnessed it. None of them know what was up. Um, and obviously the, the the term used is travel party. So it doesn't. Based on that timeline, I'd be surprised that there were players involved. Um, uh, I'd be surprised if there were uh, coaches involved. Um, you know, there could have been. You know, player development personnel, athletic trainers, you know, like in-house media, stuff like that, maybe. Um, but it doesn't seem like uh, they, they didn't use the term players. They didn't use the term coaches. So, you know, I, I, I'm not totally certain who it would have been, but there are a whole bunch of other people that might have been moving out of there faster who didn't have to go take a shower or anything like that after the game that would have been, you know, by the bus. And I think it's probably more of what you might, who you might be looking at for, for what that was, which seemed like an odd target of people to be harassing in the first place. Um, but that, that is what we know at this point, uh, whether more will be uncovered, whether anyone else wants to, whether, you know, frankly, if, if anonymous sources, if you like to talk to us, we're available. Um, so, um, you know, that 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 is where this thing stands at the moment. Yeah, I mean, my take would be if you're either pointing a gun or pretending that you're pointing a gun at someone, that's a bad thing. Period. Yes. And yes, it's never a good thing. There's no. some kind of uh, punishment involved in that. Uh, the only really other unanswered question I could come up with is the NBA said they looked at video uh, that was available of the incident, I suppose, or of the situation. I don't know mm -hmm. that there was actually video of the car driving by and someone doing what they did. Um, and then if there is, the question would be, should you have been able to see 
that laser pointer on the video. And that would be hard. You, yeah. I mean, like, if you think about, like, where would you put, where would a camera be in a loading dock? Right. You know, and NBA is not going to answer those questions. Um, so right. that would really be, it's really hard for me to see. Could this have been some kind of very weird misunderstanding? I suppose so. Certainly mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine someone making stuff up like this. Um, you know, and the other thing was there was an incident during the game between uh, Andrew Nebhard and uh, a friend of Morant's. I cannot remember his name, but, um, and, and Morant came later and mm -hmm. said it was friend and he got kicked out of the stadium for the rest of the year because of what I, I interpreted it as what happened during the game. Um, right. So there was some stuff going on beforehand. I agree with you. It doesn't seem like we're going to get a whole lot more on this, um, but mm -hmm. it is. But, uh, you know, that was the, the news of the day yesterday. So we'll uh, obviously yeah. if there's more to follow up on, IndyStar will do so. So uh, mm -hmm. let's move on to the more on the floor stuff with the, the yeah. trade coming up Thursday. Uh, Dustin has a story. Uh, that we published this morning. It should be in print tomorrow uh, on Tuesday on just where the Pacers stand at the trade deadline. Um, we'll hit the names real quick, um, and then we'll go into a little bit more about where the Pacers are at. OG Ananobi is obviously like, he might be the number one guy in the trade rumors right now. There was that, that Kyrie has moved. Yeah. Yes. Since Kyrie Irving has moved, I think OG Ananobi might be the number one target. Yep, and uh, there was talk at one point that there were someone offered the Raptors three first-round picks. The Pacers obviously have three first-round picks. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time believing that trade was involving the Pacers because I, if I was the Pacers, mm -hmm. it would take me 30 seconds to say yes to right. that. Um, mm -hmm. Now that they're in a legitimate lottery position, maybe I changed my mind. But but anyway, um, I, I don't know that they have the pieces to get him, but he would obviously be a great fit for what the Pacers need right now. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, you, you can move him. You, you can play him at the four. I mean, like he doesn't solve your rebounding problem entirely um, as he's not a great, great rebounder. I mean, I think he averaged about five and a half a game, but he does so many other things uh, that I mean, he could defend so many positions, uh, you know, just, you know, phenomenally athletic um you know just becoming such a good defender i think he, i think he's if he's not leading the league in steals he's right there I and mean, i think he's he's still number one with around 2.1 a game that's a huge number uh and if you get a guy like that uh that's defending those spots that's defending top level guys and he's causing turnovers which you know the more turnovers you get for this pacers team that likes to run the better um you know there's there's not much you know more that you can ask for there i, got, I mean again i think you can live with um, you know, he'll, he'll probably have more rebound opportunities on this team, on the team he's with right now. The Raptors have so much length um, that that's not the number one job he has. Uh, basically, when you've got, you know, Siakam and um, Hernan Gomez, I'm trying to think of just other, I mean, they just have a lot of big, long dudes who grab rebounds on that team, Scotty Barnes. Um, so, you know, it, it he, he he can do, he doesn't have to grab seven, eight rebounds a game. You know, they get five and a half of them from them and they're fine and, and they're in good shape rebounding wise. Uh, but he might be asked to do that more for the Pacers. Um, and I see no reason why he couldn't do it. He would certainly be a better option than what they have as far as that's concerned. I think, um, you know, it's, I mean, they love Aaron Neesmith. I mean, I, I, that, that shouldn't be understated. Obviously, I try to make a point in the article uh, just to say that, you know, their desire for a power forward does not mean that they are unhappy with what they're getting out of Aaron Neesmith. It's just the fact that Aaron Neesmith is six foot five. Um, and there's only so much rebounding you can get from a guy who's six foot five in the NBA. And that guy, I mean, he goes after it. He boxes out. He fights. He claws. Um, and he's had some really important, you know, individual rebounds this season. But, I mean, he's getting 
you know, even as a starter, he's getting around four a game, you know, in the games he starts. Uh, so you need more than that, you know, from that position. But OG would be, OG would be just this huge and also would make up for a previous mistake. Um, you know, obviously they they did not take him, left him on the board and took TJ Leaf. Also left John Collins on the board, who was another guy that we mentioned. So two of those guys are, are two options they could go for. And obviously you would, you know, they would be much, much happier if they had already picked those guys when they had the opportunity. Uh, instead, they don't. And TJ Leaf is, I don't know where. Um, but uh, they're, those, those are, two, you know. Definitely guys they could use. Obviously, OG being an IU guy uh, would be a huge deal if they were able to land him. Um, and yeah, I think if, if I mean, I, I can't see Toronto wanting the Pacers three picks considering what they are. Um, again, one of them obviously would put some in lottery position. The first one, uh, you know, especially where they are at right now, it's looking better and better. Um, but the other two are coming from Cleveland and Boston. And those are likely to be, you know, certainly in the bottom 10, um, you know, of, of draft picks. And the Celtics might be literally the last one in the first round. Um, so, you know, it's, it, how, how much value does that have? But, you know, uh, you, I, I think, yeah, I, I absolutely think you jump on that in a heartbeat if you're the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, he and Neesmith would actually be a great, I would think, be a great combo plan. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. forward spots, they could play together. That means, I guess, Nebhard goes out of the lineup, but those are problems that you worry about. After. Right, you worry about when you get them. Yes, exactly. If, 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 you, if you have too much to deal with there and, and you're, you know, it's like, oh, we might have to go small in the second unit with Nebhard and McConnell. Oh, my God, what are you going to do with your life? Oh, like, you're going to be fine. That's going to be work out okay. I mean, you could put, you know, those two and healed and, you know, yeah, that could yeah. Uh, it's just hard to see the Pacers putting a package together because I can't. The Raptors aren't going to be interested in Buddy Heald, I wouldn't think. So it's just hard to see that one coming to to fruition. Mm-hmm. And when you mm-hmm. add Ananobi, your draft pick is likely not going to be a lottery pick, or at least right. a lottery pick. Um, yeah. If roster. So you mentioned Collins. Obviously, is another very popular one. Um, again, we get into some issues here. We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm not a, maybe the Hawks want Heald and a, some kind of uh, multiple first round picks. Um, Collins mm-hmm. been some issues with some conversations about whether his defense is good enough. I'm not going to mm-hmm. sit here and I'm an expert on NBA defense. I will also say that it seems like Rick Carlisle does a fine job getting guys to play defense at the level they need to. So I wouldn't yes. worry too much. He's mm-hmm. a guy, not, you mentioned in the article, he's not shooting threes well this year, but he has in the past. Again, a mm-hmm. real nice fit besides, beside Miles Turner. Um, mm-hmm. If he, if, if you want to go that direction for the Pacers. Right, exactly. I mean, I think that they could really use a, a, a really athletic, bouncy 6'8 guy, uh, you know, that, that's got at least a little bit of muscle that's, that's you know, like that is four-ish as opposed to five-ish. And it's hard to sort of define what that means. But obviously, I mean, they've got a couple of 6'9 guys with some athleticism um, just who very clearly operate like fives. I mean, it, it's just, it's it's hard to put a pin on what exactly it is that makes Jalen Smith more of a five and Isaiah Jackson more of a five, but they just are. And even though they tried to make Jalen Smith a four, it just didn't work. Uh, it, you know, it needs to be guys that can defend multiple positions that, that can't just defend bigs, that can get down a little bit, uh, you know, get down in the stand. And, and, you know, if, if switched on to a point guard, have to be able to defend it. You know, I, I think that's kind of maybe may the most important thing. And you just don't trust Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson necessarily in those situations for long periods of time. You know, as a role, you know, as a pick and roll situation, maybe. Um, but really bouncing around the perimeter, you know, th- it doesn't fit the same way that, you know, a Neesmith does or I think a Collins would um, just in terms of their ability to you know, at least conceivably guard those spots. And that's kind of what you need. But you 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 still want that guy to be 
six seven six eight preferably six nine you know with some muscle on him uh and so they could just use a guy like that i think collins really fits a guy he plays really athletic gets above the rim obviously had the big tip in to beat uh the pacers i think in the first game that um tyrese halliburton missed in its entirety and the pacers had a chance to win that game uh but collins puts it away with the tip in um and again they, they could just use somebody who can really rebound at that level i mean he's always been right around seven or more uh he's had higher you know sort of average just in the season so i mean even when he's been less and less sort of productive offensively and it seems like he, they, they've had a hard time figuring out what to do with him um he still rebounded the basketball uh you know you know uh pretty reliably even while they have you know sort of bigger fives with him and other guys that are that are with him out there that are also getting rebounds he's still getting you 78 a game and they could really use somebody who's got that level of athleticism that ability to board at the at the power forward position and uh, he replaced, I believe, officially replaced Miles Turner as the NBA player longest in the we want uh, the trade rumor room, yes. imaginary trade rumor room. So when Miles left, I believe Collins is now the senior member of that, um, yes. which is probably a reason. I, I mean, that seems to me like the Hawks just hasn't meshed very well between Collins and the Hawks for whatever reason. So it seems like he could move uh, by. And there's, there's bigger issues. I mean, they haven't, their front office has really been shaken up. I mean, it seems like there's, um, I don't know if it's reports, I don't know if it's rumors, but there's a general sense out there that uh, McMillan and Trey Young are not particularly getting along very well. And it just seems like they're in the midst of a, um, might have to shake this thing up significantly um, sort of situation. There's a lot of talent over there between Young and Murray and Hunter. I mean, those are three really, really talented players in Capella. Um, there are some good players on that team, and it just seems like it's not currently fitting. And they've got to, you know, kind of, you know, shake up the situation um, and, you know, figure out some of that, fig- you know, shake up the snow globe and move some things around and get them to fit. Those are the the two bigger names, I think, or the more uh, the ones that would cost you more on the uh, that have been thrown around out there. Obi mm-hmm. Top and Knicks would be sort of the next step down. Um, again, great. It seems like a great fit. I can't imagine it would cost. I mean, would are you willing to give up either a, your bet? I mean, I, I think you might have to give up your best non lottery pick, but I wouldn't think that the value. You know, maybe you got to throw in a second or something like that, but that's fine. Right. Um, but I, I mean, that would seem to me to be. A no-brainer if that is on the table for the Pacers to take that chance on uh, Toppin. Yeah, I mean, it seems like an obvious move to me if you can make it. I mean, I, I know I, I, one move I saw um, that was rumored is that they were thinking of packaging him with Evan Fournier um, and getting Malik Beasley and uh, Jared Vanderbilt from Utah. So, I mean, it's obviously, you know, it, 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 the Knicks might have grander plans um, as, you know, just sort of using Obi as, as a bigger piece um, and trying to, you know, use him packaged with somebody else to go get something else. Uh, and in that case, basically, whatever you're getting straight up just for Obi might not be the same kind of return they want, might not do enough for the Knicks, basically, is that they be, make, might make them more sense to package him with somebody else. But if, if you're going to have Obi top and straight up, um, you know, just what it would cost you is an easy decision on the Pacers part. Again, it, it, like, again, if it's doable that way, um, because, again, you obviously, you know, you you can't even send them healed, even if you wanted to, I don't think, um, because I think they'd be taking on too much salary in that case, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, it just just is not even. So, like, at most, if you're giving up a player, it's Duarte. That, that's like the 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 highest level player you would have to give up to get him if they want a player right now at all. Um, and they might not. Um, and 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 yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think it would be as long as you're. 
I think basically the assets that if you're the Pacers, you're not at all willing to part with are, you know, obviously Halliburton, Matherin, Turner. You know, those are obviously three untouchable guys. Turner, especially because you just said we're not moving him. Um, Basically, if you have a press conference to announce your contract extension, you know, you can't trade that guy in a week and a half, especially after we asked you, you know, Greg asked you if you were going to trade him. So once you said no, you better not. Um, But, you know, basically... And the and the other only other asset I think that that has to be off the table if you're the Pacers right now is is your number one pick this year. I mean I think the other two you know the the, the picks that you have from the Cavs and the Celtics you got to be willing to move. And it sounds like Kevin Pritchard is basically openly openly shopping those you know and saying you know because he's he basically said you know I don't think we'd bring in three rookies on top of the puppies that we already have on this team. You know at a certain point you've got too many guys that are 22 and 21 and 20. Um, you know they're just they're holding each other back. You know uh, from from being able to succeed because we're we're having to make these decisions among them, trying to develop all all together. We're also ultimately costing them playing time. It's already happening with Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. It would just happen more if you tack on you know three four rookies to this team. So they're kind of openly shopping those. And I don't think they'd have any problem uh, parting with at least one of them, uh, if not two, for the right price. Uh, but I think that the only thing that's they would really they they would have to get something really really good um, to part with their pick, uh, basically whatever wherever they're going to be, as opposed to the Cavs pick and the Celtics pick that they'll have. Yeah, I want to come back to the where the Pacers are are sort of in general, which obviously involves. Uh, you know where they are in the lottery and all that, but uh, but it also want to touch on something else you just mentioned with the logjam and uh, bigs. The other name out there is Jared Vanderbilt. You know I, Vanderbilt's a nice player. You know he's a nine and eight guy, but he's he, he's on the block because Utah isn't, doesn't need him as much. Uh, it seems mm-hmm. like it sense to trade him because of that. Yeah. I, I, again, I I think Vanderbilt's a nice piece. I'm not I'm a little worried about how you play him and Turner together. I don't think that's exactly yeah. it. But it's also if you bring in Vanderbilt, what are you doing with Jackson and Smith and and Daniel Tice as well? Um, mm. I mean, it really seems to me that even if you, or if you bring in Obi Toppin, you're you're I, I got to think he's playing, and those other guys aren't playing at that point as long as Toppin's healthy and all that. Um, it, I mean, it seems like they've got the Pacers have got some. I, I, you know, hard decisions to make, or they got to figure a few things out in the front court that is not. I mean, between now and the end of the season, I, I don't think you're going to have issues with it. But that's a, something mm-hmm. they got to address in the off season, especially if they bring in another player, um, another power forward type uh, this year. Yeah. Right. I think. I mean, the, the thing about Vanderbilt, you know, he's six nine, two fifteen, somewhere in that range. He strays way too close to that Smith Jackson body type. Um, that that you know you're, you're ultimately going to be asking yourself in a year didn't i just add another of what i already had too many of to play um so that 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 would kind of surprise me i mean i'm i'm you know like not that i've watched him super closely um but he he's he's obviously big in range he rebounds a little bit better so there's that's worth noting um but again is he a guy that that can get down and defend a point guard for a little bit if he has to you know and that's not what you're doing on purpose but, you know, like, again, in this case, Aaron Neesmith, if he's in a situation where he gets moved around, he doesn't have a problem, you know, defending a Donovan Mitchell or, or a Darius Garland. I don't know that you're doing the same thing with a, with a, a, a Vanderbilt. You know, Toppin, I think, is at least a guy that you could see in those scenarios. I don't know that he's a great defender on that level either, but, you know, he at least has that kind of more 
you know, a body type of guy that can get down. Um, where I, I don't know that that Vanderbilt is he's sort of a little sort of high built, I guess. Um, and it, again, he, he just runs in that position where you find yourself having another Jalen Smith, and you don't you you just don't need to stockpile those. You you've already got enough of them. You've already got enough of the situation there. So it doesn't seem like he fits. I mean, but like I think Utah has to move him just because. Walker Kessler has become a stud and you already have Markinen and Olenek and you're basically playing those three together, you know? So, I mean, you, you've got three guys that are like six ten or above uh, that you're playing in your lineup every night and it's a big, big lineup and, and Vanderbilt ha- does not have a lot of opportunity there. So, you know, they've got to make a move. They've got to move somebody. And I guess it makes sense for the Pacers to at least inquire and sort of look into it, but I don't know that he really fits, uh, you know, what they need. I mean, he, he, I could see him being helpful on some level, but I can also see him getting sort of pigeonholed in the same situation. Uh, the Jackson Smith are already in and, and even further clogging a situation that is very, very clogged as is. Um, obviously there could be some other guys out there that names we haven't heard. I mean, anything else you've seen rattling around in terms of trade possibilities that might fit with the Pacers? Yeah, in terms of got people that, you know, there's not like any rumors I've seen in terms of somebody, um, you know, reporting that reporting interest. But uh, in terms of just, I guess, the fan base and their like um, not dream scenarios, but just like, hey, that that guy would be a fit. That guy might be a fit. I, I saw just someone mention like uh, Jalen McDaniels and PJ Washington, I think, are both guys uh, in Charlotte that I think would be interesting fits uh, that sort of, you know, fit those sort of same um, physical uh, attributes, I, th- I think that makes sense. You know, again, it it's, makes sense to get somebody who's long, who's rangy, but can get down and defend multiple positions and can rebound. I, I think that's what you want in that power forward spot is is somebody who could shoot at least a little, um, somebody who has some level of perimeter skill. Um, but again, the biggest thing I think is being able to rebound and be able to, being, being able to defend more than just your spot. Yeah, I think this the trade deadline to me will be very interesting from sort of the, the Pacers are going to have to at least a little bit telegraph where they think they're at. If they're mm-hmm. adding somebody, um, obviously it's got to be the right deal. But that tells you one thing. If they don't add somebody, I mean, if they don't add somebody, I think you've got to at least start seriously looking at, I mean, I, it's hard to, how do you tank without being obvious about it? But but right now, I think they're seventh in the lottery in two and a half games out of fifth. I don't think they can get lower than that. Um, Orlando, mm-hmm. the fifth team. I mean, Orlando, I would think is gonna is gonna be trying to win, or or frankly, they got too much talent not to win. Somewhat similar to where the Pacers are. It, at. It's remarkable it took them so long. Honestly, um, I mean, you you really look at all the guys they've got. It's absurd that they have twenty two wins. It really is. Like the it's Pacers, nuts. And then if you get to the fifth, if you're fifth in the lottery, that I think that's uh I think that's ten percent chance. Uh, maybe it's seven and a half. I gotta go back and look at tankathon.com. Um, yeah, but. That's a legitimate shot at the number one pick. I mean, 14% is the best you can do. Um, all right. of a sudden, you're looking at something in the top six again. It's a really strong draft. Again, I don't know exactly how. I mean, you know, I don't want to. I hate seeing Tyrese Halliburton getting a quote unquote back injury or anything along those lines. But mm. it's, I, I wonder if the Pacers aren't in a better spot. I, I just don't see how making the play in tournament and losing after one or two games is better than getting a shot at the number one pick or a top six pick or whatever it is for this, you know, for, for where they're at. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, yes, I, I think you're, you're ultimately right about that. You know, if, if you can get a better player um, it makes sense. I mean, I I'm trying to, you know, like, I don't feel like I've studied this draft enough to know, okay, what's the difference between the sixth and the 10th pick. And I think, you know, for instance, last year, I think they were really, really fortunate to be sixth. 
really fortunate. That was a tremendous place to be because it was just like whoever, you know, like those top three bigs were going to go. It was going to be, you know, Holmgren, you know, Banchero and Smith in, in whatever order ended up being Banchero, Holmgren, Smith. And then it was the three wings. It was Murray, Ivy, Matherin. And whoever you would have got, you were happy with, you know. And it was just like after that is when you started getting risky. But I, think know, Shaden, the, I don't think anyone's complaining about having Shaden Sharp either. But that still makes your point that there was. No, but it's like. You would have been, you would have felt a little bit more nervous if you've got Shaden Sharp, and True. they are, I think, less of a sure thing. That's certain. That's one hundred percent fair. What we've seen this year, I don't think anyone's complaining about. Maybe Jabari Smith's been a little bit shakier, but he's. But anyway, yeah, it was a great draft to have a top seven pick in. It's just, it's going to seem in five years from now, it's not hard seeing that playing out at all. Right, and remarkably, I mean, I think. Um, I think Johnny Davis was in town in Indianapolis today with the Capital City Go-Go. So that tells you. A little bit of a drop-off at the pick number eight there. <laughs> yeah. Things went, things went a little downhill after that. Obviously, there's some good players beyond him uh, that have, that have uh, kind of stepped up higher. So the bottom line is, like, I don't know where the cliff is right now. Uh, like, I, I haven't thought it enough to say, okay, well, this is where you need to be. Because if you're if you're not here, you're falling off. And, and they were at the right side of the cliff last year. So, you know, it, that that's obviously a big thing. It depends. Like, it, it, if there's a cliff, you want to be on the right side of it. And that makes a huge difference, like, between, you know, where it makes sense for you to want to be. Um, because if it's a situation where there's eight or nine guys you feel really good about, um, but you're looking at 10th and, you know, you're like – it. And that that's what gets you in the playing game, but that's also a situation that that means you're not going to get a top level player. Um, you know, that's those are obviously a lot of questions that they've got to answer. I mean, I, I do think there's value to this team, even in playing one or two playoff games. I, I think there is value. Is that enough value? Uh, that really depends on again what the difference is in terms of what you get with this pick versus what you get with that pick, and it's hard to kind of really break that down at this point. But I do think there's value to playing meaningful, meaningful games. I think there's value to, to having a meaningful March and April. I think there's value to even just getting in that playoff setting twice. I think it would, it would matter for this group. Um, I'm probably giving them too much credit for um, chemistry. Because frankly, it's the first NBA team I've covered. I probably think that they're they're you know way cooler than they are uh, in terms of like how they get along and stuff. Like I'm I, you know like I get told by Rick Carlisle, hey, this is special, and um, you know Kevin Pritchard the same way. And I don't have a ton to compare it to, frankly, because I haven't been around a team like this, an NBA team like this to this extent. Um, but they certainly seem to believe it. And I guess if you believe it, if you believe that that this is your core. And and you believe that these guys are going to be the piece of the main pieces of the next great Pacers team. Um, there is value in getting them anything this year. There's value. Now, again, is that enough, you know, like to uh, to to risk a really good draft pick? Can't say for sure right now, but I would say that there is value. I mean, even just in in the play in setting, even just having a, you know, being in a do or die game. You know, uh, have basically playing a team that, that is going all out to beat you right here, right now. And, you know, you're both playing for your lives. Like there's value for that for this group because so many of them have not experienced it. Turner has, you know, uh, Tyrese hasn't, you know, I don't think Buddy has Buddy. I don't I don't think Buddy has, um, you know, no, and if, and if you think that's a good 
as a rookie, so I don't think he's played in the playoffs either, no. Right. Obviously, Matherin hasn't, needless to say, as a rookie, and he could use that. And so, um, you know, there's there's only a handful of guys that know what this looks like. And, you know, if, if this is going to be your core going forward, you know, Neesmith and Emhart. Well, Neesmith obviously has been on a team he didn't play a lot. Um, you know, he's seen the playoffs uh, with the Celtics, but was really watching it kind of from a distance. And, and I think he only got 10 minutes like twice um, in that whole playoff run last year in a single game. So there's value. It's just a question of, is it enough? And I, that that really comes down to your draft evaluation in terms of what you think is worth it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to me is, I don't, I mean, I, by all accounts, this team does have great chemistry. I don't think they would have been sixth before Halliburton's injury um, mm. in the East before if, if they didn't. Um, I, I, you know, again, it's easy for me to sit here in the Indy Star office and, uh, um, and say this, but the, but I, I just don't care about the chemistry that much because it's a yeah. long term. Now, for two reasons. Number one, already you've got the logjam of bigs. I'm not saying that those guys are going to be a problem or, you know, even that they're high enough on the pecking order for it to be a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to imagine that there won't be stuff cropping up next year along those lines. The other thing is, I, I mean, it also seems to me like Halliburton's the chemistry. I mean, he's the one yeah. he's gonna, you know, there's a your your margin for error is bigger because you have Halliburton in terms of chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, again, I get it, but I just don't know that I I, I don't want to ruin the chemistry. Uh, I'm right. not going to give Buddy Heald away because it does seem like, as you've mentioned many times, he's a he's an important part of what they've got. At the same time, I'm not going to be afraid to give them away because I think the chemistry, uh, you know, hey, if I get another good lottery pick, I'm okay with that. And I have yeah. confidence that Carlisle and Halliburton will figure the chemistry out next year, too. So um, yeah. I, uh, that, that's just where I'm wondering if that's where we're at with this team. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I mean, I think Tyrese can make just about any situation fun, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think as, as long as there's not a – it's not as long as it's not a toxic environment, like top to bottom. I mean, like, and right. Sacramento has been wild. And I like, I mean, like Tyrese, he's not a miracle worker. Like, I mean, he can't go into a place that's just a broken culture top to bottom and make it great. But as long as like everybody else is passable, uh, Tyrese makes the game fun because he's going to pass the ball to you. He's going to involve everybody. Um, and that's going to make it so there's not as many, you know, like guys are willing to be happy for each other because Tyrese is going to make everybody happy. You know, he's going to get everybody the ball and he's going to get everybody their buckets, which means he's going to get everybody their money you know like Tyrese is going to make everybody happy just by ball distribution um and and they're going to win more because of that and that's going to help and so yeah like you can shake it up and he'll be okay um so I mean they, they it's it's probably not as fragile as they're talking about it and, and at the end of the day like to your point if you start losing no matter how good your chemistry is it starts to suffer because people start to blame each other and like even if they don't say it out loud they're still like well, you did this and you like it, it, it foundation cracks with enough defeat, you know, re- regardless that that chemistry foundation cracks with enough defeat. So you've got to be able to win. Um, and, you know, like you, you've got to be able to show that, OK, like if everybody can tell that you're missing something and you don't get it, you know, then your chemistry suffers. So ultimately you, you can't 
you you can't ride it too hard is i think agreeing with your point is like you can't be like okay well this is special and priceless and we can't do anything to touch it because it is the most marvelous group of humans to ever come together like no at some point they're going to lose basketball games if they lose enough basketball games they're going to lose more basketball games and it's going to you know it's going to snowball um so i mean there is definitely something they're worth protecting i mean and i would say just particularly with buddy like i, I mean he helps you know, he definitely helps. And I also think that, you know, I, I like I think he's got enough of rep around the league that, you know, that if you bring him in someplace else, you're, that does not mean you're getting the same guy. You know, like Tyrese makes him better, keeps him grounded, keeps him. I don't know, like just just makes him fit. There are places where Buddy Hill would not fit, you know, and that makes, you know, like he. he you know, he could end up being a negative, whereas on this team, he's a positive. And I think the league knows that. And so I think that uh, that, you know, affects his trade value. I think, you know, whether you can absorb a buddy healed or you can't. Basically, if you have like you need to have a pretty good set culture already, you need to have a leader that can take buddy in and make him feel, you know, comfortable and respected and happy and all that kind of thing. Tyrese is really, really good at that. Uh, if you don't have a culture that can do that, then you don't want buddy healed. You know, so I and, and I saw so again, I think that that matters. And like when you have a piece that fits, I mean, it's hard to move that piece when it's like he fits with us. So what, you know, like that's the thing you might not want to chance. And, and so the issue is, though, it's hard to tank if you don't trade him because right. like, I, I just don't like. They're further along in tanking already than I thought they were going to be two weeks ago. Like, I, I didn't think they were going to be this bad. Um without Tyrese and I and I and I kind of thought they'd win, you know, at least two of their first three with him back. Um, yeah, so the math right. is starting to change. You know. Um real quick, uh, you gotta get to practice uh momentarily here. We touched on healed. I don't know. I mean to me, you're trading him. I, I don't see trading him just for a first round pick unless it's an unprotected lottery pick from a bad team, which is not mm-hmm. gonna happen. So if you're trading healed, you're gonna be getting some kind of power forward back, I would think. Um yeah. I, you know, Goga Batadze, I think they would trade him for a second round pick in a heartbeat. Uh, sure. That's going to uh, uh, cause our podcast uh, numbers to spike if we spend too much time on Goga. Um, I could also see them trading Smith or, I, I mean, I could see them, you know, that's for a second round pick, perhaps. I don't think you're doing that with Isaiah Jackson. I think the upside's too much. I um, mm. And then, uh, I mean, Daniel. Thies, um, you know, could you trade him for a second round pick? I, I mean, I think he could, uh, but he also brings something to the team that they don't have. Um, yeah. and, and the other only other one I can think of is TJ McConnell, who, again, at the beginning of the year, I would have told you you trade him for a second round pick in a heartbeat. I can't be doing that now. He's just too good. He's, I mean, again, sort of what you've been talking about. He's too big a part of the team. I don't see why you mm. would yeah. get rid Unless you're getting something that helps you back. I mean, we're past yeah. the point of, of, of dumping guys, I really think. So, um, yeah, real quick, he's got to be a guy like it, it's almost like, you know, it, it's got to be a scenario where they view him the same way a baseball team needs a left handed reliever. They just desperately need a second team right. point guard that can they, they can run their second unit. And like that's their their piece that they're really missing. And it's awful. TJ can come in and do that for you. But it's, again, he's just such he's so good at what he does. He's such a, I mean, just as good of a clubhouse guy as you can imagine. Um, and, you know, for a team that doesn't have a lot of veteran age, he's at least a little older. I mean, he's 30. We talk about it like he's ancient, but he's 30. You know, compared to this team, he is. Uh, but it's that's that's helpful. 
All right. Well, we will wrap it up there. Please go to uh, IndyStar.com. We will be all over anything that the Pacers do or don't do as we come to the trade mm-hmm. desk. Uh, thank you for listening.